Welcome to the Teaching Middle School ELA Podcast. We're your hosts, Caitlin Mitchell and Jessica Kanata. If you're looking for ways to bring rigor and engagement to your middle school ELA classroom without sacrificing your nights and weekends, then this podcast is for you. Our goal is to provide you with your weekly dose of tips, tools, and inspiration so you can actually enjoy teaching again. We'll help you bring the fun and creativity to your ELA lessons so that your students master the standards and you can leave school when the bell rings. Get ready to be that teacher you've always wanted to be to do great work and thrive. Welcome back, teachers, to another episode of the Teaching Middle School ELA podcast. I am super excited today because we have a special guest on our podcast, Chad Pettit, who is that teacher guy on TikTok. That might be where you have heard of him before. Um, And Chad is a high school English teacher. He's an Army veteran, a fiction author, a poet. I mean, Chad, when I was reading your bio, I was like, holy cow, this guy is impressive. And we are so excited to have you on the podcast today to talk to our teachers about effective student teacher writing conferences. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, Caitlin. I am beyond excited. This is, I, I'm that guy that, you know, everybody has that one thing they talk about and they perk up. I'm that geeky guy that's like writing conferences. Oh yeah, you must be fun at a party. <laughs> yeah, it, it is what it is, but I get excited about this kind of stuff and, and seeing teachers adapt new processes that take some of the burden off them. And seeing students grow in their writing so yeah um so i am a uh, high school english teacher i've taught all the way from ninth grade through 12th grade uh and i uh, did my thesis for my master's degree on writing instruction and i just never stopped doing the research I love it. That's so fantastic. I was telling those of you listening, I was telling Chad before we started recording, like we literally chose the perfect person to come on the podcast and talk to us about student teacher writing conferences for that exact reason. So we are in good hands and I'm really excited to kind of dive into everything with our teachers today. Um, Side note, I'm going to go off script. What has been your favorite high school grade to teach? 10th grade, hands down. Yeah. Why is that? I, well, I have a degree in master's degree in rhetoric uh, okay. and in Texas, we focus on argument mm-hmm. um, and I, I, sophomores are at that perfect age for me. Um, they're not seniors, so they're not checked out and they're not freshmen. So they're not like when you get a freshman, I love them. God bless them. Bless their little hearts, but they're still middle school students for the first nine weeks. And then they're lost little high school students. And then they're trying to figure it out. And they just kind of never really settle into they're a, a little bit of a disaster that first. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sophomores is like, they're, they're like, Oh, we're the, we're the mature ones on the mm-hmm. campus now. They're like, they're making fun of the freshmen. I'm like, that was you 10 minutes ago. So, <laughs> uh, but they, they've grown a little more cognitively. I can dive a little deeper. Um, and it's easier for me to kind of manage a multi-tiered class. If I'm going to put them in different groups and different, you know, it's easier to differentiate that way. And they're just funny. They're just fun. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Mine is juniors side note, but, um, that's awesome. I love, I liked sophomores too. I got to teach sophomore honors classes. So that my experience with sophomores was a little bit different in that regard. Nice. Awesome. Um, okay. So tell us about kind of your hopes, your goals for your work and what you're doing kind of in and out of the classroom. Like, I'd love for you to dive into like your mission, like who is Chad Pettit? Like, what are your goals? Um, so our teachers can really get to know you a little bit better. Sure. So when I was, uh, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to education. I'm 
I was 33 when I went back to college and I had not been in school in forever. I was always a writer. I loved writing, but I hadn't done academic writing. And I'm sitting in these college classes and the, the students, they write out of high school and the college professors are like yanking their hair out because these kids can't write and the adults in the rooms can, in the room can't write. And I'm thinking, shouldn't this have been like a prerequisite? And me, I was brought up in kind of a, a generation of you, we didn't have a lot of help. They just here. Here's how you figure it out. And you go to the library pre Google and you just figure it out, um, you know, and so we were like masters at troubleshooting. And so they said, you're going to write an essay. And I said, OK, what kind of essay? And they said this. And, it, and that was all they gave me. And I said, OK, so I went to the library and did some troubleshooting and figured it out. Um, but I realized I could sit here and be the person who talks trash. I could be the person who's frustrated or I could do something about it. And so I decided to take my skill set down to the high school level and teach writing. And when I got down to the high school level, I realized just how big of a challenge it really is and what educators are facing, especially with the influx of mass uh, in mass standardized testing, uh, writing to templates and formulaic writing and everything. And um, kids just not being able to grasp what it is and then getting into college and having to go through developmental uh English and the professor saying, well, the high school teachers aren't teaching them. Like, you no, know, definitely are. There's just, we're teaching them for different purposes and there's a big, huge disconnect. And so um, I went and got my master's degree and I focused on writing instruction because you're, I'm sure you understand this. When you become an English teacher or any kind of teacher, they don't teach you how to teach writing. No, <laughs> there's no professional development for teaching writing. It's like, there's a book here. You can buy this book and you can hopefully figure it out. And if you can pay enough for have for the speaker to come in you're, and you luck out, great. Other than that, you're swimming and, and mostly drowning. And so I, you know, and I got the misconception of, well, you're an English teacher. So we'll just get the English teachers to do it. That's not what an English degree is. An English mm -hmm. degree is literary analysis. Um, and, and we write a lot, but we're not taught how. Mm -hmm. And so I focused on the actual instruction. So I dove really deep into the principles of, of uh, pedagogy and assessment when it comes to writing. Uh, and I dove real, real deep. And I realized that this is where we need to focus. If we focus on training the teachers and how to do writing instruction and assessment, we'll make better writers. Mm -hmm. And we'll also be aligning between the high school and the college. And I started sharing the things I was learning with other teachers. And then I got picked up by the Central Texas Writing Projects. Uh, my district paid for me to go to that, which is an affiliate of the National Writing Project. So I'm actually a consultant for them. And I got to start teaching teachers. And I fell in love. Mm -hmm. I, I love teaching students. Teaching teachers is that's I'm really passionate about that because now I'm affecting so many more people and that's where I'm at. So my big goal now is really help teachers embrace some strategies that help them get that old mentality out of spending all their weekend at home, grading papers, um, stressed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's, you know, we want to, we want to get our lives back. And at the same time, we want it to be effective. What are mm -hmm. we doing in the classroom? Is it actually accomplishing anything? And so that's where I'm doubling down. And then as I started posting my videos on TikTok as a joke, just for a therapeutic outlet, just, just teacher humor, people started resonating with it. And I'm getting requests like, oh, do this, do this, do this. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. So I'm doing all these different teacher jokes. And then people are starting to make 
more serious comments. And so I started addressing some of the actual concerns. And next thing I know, I'm like the, the teacher therapist on TikTok. And, and people are really reaching out to me, asking me for help and, and all these different things. And I'm like, I think I'm here in, in this time to really help teachers um, and, and help them get their passion back for education mm-hmm. and get back into the, the game and, and really enjoy it again. And maybe even some of the teachers that have just been burnt out and walked away, maybe even get them back or at least you know, I don't know. I have, I'm a pie in the sky hopes kind of guy, but I'm not going to give up. Yeah. I love that so much. And you're so right. Just on so many different levels of things that you just said, and we feel the same exact way about writing instruction and teaching teachers how to, how to teach writing, because we were never taught that I have a master's degree in secondary education with an English focus. And I had zero classes about Mm -hmm. teaching my students how to write. How are we supposed to do that? I'm like, well, I couldn't remember what I was taught in high. You know what I mean? Like, how, yeah. what sense does that make? In what world does that make sense? Um, and I think it's so neat that you now have this great platform to share your mission and to help teachers um, through obviously what's been an incredibly challenging time these last couple of years um, with humor, with grace. Like, I'm just, I would invite everybody to go follow you on TikTok. You're just such a joy um, and such a great, I don't know, voice of, of knowledge, of reason, of humor of levity. You're just wonderful. And I'm so glad that we got to connect with you. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. So let's dive into talking about writing conferences. So we want to convince our listeners that they actually do have time for effective student teacher writing conferences, because that is going to be like the number one I can't do it struggle is my classes are 42 minutes long. I don't have time to do teacher student writing conferences. I don't see the benefit of it and pulling away from my class time. So can you talk to us first about, I think, convincing us why we should be doing student teacher writing conferences in our classroom? Like why are they quote unquote worth the trouble of trying to fit it into our schedules? Yeah, sure. So I'll explain it through a scenario. Can I do that? Love it. Yes. All right. So students, they practice, they do their writing in class, you cover your lessons, everything. Okay, now they write their paper. They turn in those papers, whether it's digital or uh, written on by hand, whatever. You take those papers and you put them in your bag and you drag them home, you toss them in the car and they go in the corner and a week later you're staring at that bag and you're dreading it. And finally you pull the bag out of the corner and you're like, okay, I'll do it. And you get into the grading zone, you get through one class and you're like, why did I become a teacher? Uh, And then you, oh, the kids are, you got to go here and we got to go there. And okay, so I come back and now it's midnight and the kids are asleep and, and my wife is asleep or my husband's asleep. Okay, now I'm going to try it again. And now I fell asleep with a bunch of grades, a bunch of papers in my lab. Now I'm waking up early in the morning. Oh, I didn't have time for lesson plans. And this is not a stretch. That is the teacher life. That's literally what happens to a T. I'm watching my life unfold when I was a teacher, as you were saying all of that. Yeah. And and that was me. And so here's the real problem with that. All that work, you'd expect there to be some benefits to it. Like you work that hard. You want to, you want to see the rewards and benefits of it. So you get those papers back to the kids and you've got an A or a B or a C or a, a number written on the top. And then you've got feedback in the columns and on the, down at the bottom. And they put it in the trash. Mm. <sighs> and you want to kill because you worked so hard. And then here's the thing. On the next paper, they're making the same mistakes. And so you're writing the same feedback 
over and over. I mean, stop me if you've heard this one before, Katie, (laughs) you know, um, that's what we do. And so, but here's the bigger problem. Let's say that kid does read that feedback. Okay. On a paper I wrote two weeks ago, we moved on to another lesson. I've got other classes. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. All right. So they're not paying attention. They don't remember. It's not processing. Here's the other problem. Research shows, and there is plenty of research to back this up. As soon as you, scientific studies have been done on this. As soon as you attach a grade to any assignment, students are more focused on the grade than they are the learning. So what happens, uh, and this has been, several studies have been done to document this. What they do is look at the feedback and they say, they see, okay, so I'm lacking clarity in my sentence. They don't know what that means. And you don't know what it meant when you said it. You just know that it's not clear, but you don't know exactly how to make it clear. So you wrote lacks clarity and you hope they figure it out, but then they don't. And they come to you in tutoring. It's like, oh, and there's 40 of them. And now now all of a sudden they all need help with their clarity. Now you're teaching another lesson again and the cycle starts over again. Right. But all they do, if they do figure it out, is fix it just enough to get that grade. And then the next time they write a paper, they make the same mistake because research proves that method does not transfer learning across genres and across curriculum. Mm. So what if we had a system in place that gets rid of all of that, gives you your weekend back, gives you your nights back, gives you your sleep back, gets feedback into the hands of the kids the same day, next day, and more feedback than they've ever received before, not just from the teacher, but from multiple people. And it's actionable feedback that transfers. So you're not given the same feedback over and over again. I mean, how does that sound? I love it. I'm bored. All right. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think that's all literally exactly teachers' experiences to a T. I mean, that's why teachers hate teaching writing, you know, Mm -hmm. most and most teachers then don't teach writing. Or they like touch it a little bit and then walk away and hope that it was good enough for the state test that they're forced to, to give our students, right? Right. Or yeah. they, they grade for one thing and this kid's written this entire paper and now you've got frustrated kids. Like I wrote three pages for you to read one sentence. Yeah. And that's not fair. Let's be honest. That's not fair. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So then using writing conferences with our students, how does it solve those problems that you just shared? It solves that problem because it puts the ownership on the students. It takes it off of the teacher. Um, I could tell everybody what to fix on this one paper, but it's it's the old adage, that cliche, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. Mm-hmm. You can lead a student to the paper, but you can't force them to write well. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. If I'm giving them the corrections, it's the same thing as a math teacher. Oh, you missed the step right here. No, no, no. That's not how math teachers teach. Mm-hmm. They highlight it and they say, what? step did you miss? Mm -hmm. And then that kid looks at it and struggles and struggles and struggles. Oh, I missed this step. There you go. And if they don't get it, what do they do? They ask a peer. So now they're breaking a problem down together. Why can't we take that approach with English? So before they're conferencing with me, they're also doing self-assessment and peer review. So they're learning how to analyze their own writing. Then they're looking at the writing of others, which as a professional writer, I've published a couple of books and I know this from going to writers conferences, things like that. When you look at the mistakes other people are making and you look at the good things other people are doing and then they're writing, you're more conscious of it. So now you're thinking about it as you're doing your writing and you learn now you implement it and practice. And here's the thing. It takes practice and no teacher can grade the amount of writing students need to do to be truly effective writers. So 
that's that's kind of the the big picture how so i'm using a combination of things i'm using self-assessment peer review and when 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 people say writers conference when i say writers conference people think big long epic i'm not doing that my writers conferences are two three minutes and i'm out the door if it's longer than that i'll see you in tutoring um Mm -hmm. and if you're not prepared when you come to the conference then you get a, a zero in the grade book and I'll see you in the C in tutoring. Same kind okay, of Okay. So that makes it so much more approachable because I'm like, okay, well now I'm even more on board two to three minutes. Like my ears perked up even more. So I'd love for you to walk us through, you know, kind of A to Z, what it would mm-hmm. look like in your class to, to implement this, to put this into action where we're doing self-assessments, peer assessment, because you're so right. I mean, that was such just a great example of being able to see others' mistakes and the things that they do well through studying their writing and reading other people's writing. I always will relate everything to athletics. That That is just like being a great athlete. You sit and you watch others and you see mm-hmm. their mistakes or you sit and you watch yourself. You watch back the tapes yep. on you. Where did I mess up? What did my shot look like? How come I made that turnover in that specific instance? And it's the same exact thing with any skill that we get to do that for our students now just in a different way. And so talk me through A to Z, what this looks like. Sure. So yeah, exactly what you're saying. You know, it, we, we approach writing as a task or a chore instead of a practice. Mm. So first things first, now I'm going to probably lose some of your listeners, but stick with me. Don't, 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 don't. No judgment. There's no like, judgment here. <laughs> hang on. Okay. So I said research shows as soon as you put that grade on there, students check out. They're focused on the grade, not the learning. So the first thing you have to do is detach the grade. Mm. so here's what I do for the first three weeks the first three four weeks of school I tell my students if you do exactly everything I'm asking you to do academically speaking you do everything I'm asking you to do you have an automatic 100 for every grade that I'm putting in the grade book you have a 100 how's that sound they're like like you're lying I'm like (laughs) well I'm not if you do everything I'm asking you to do you have a 100 now if you don't you have a zero it's all or nothing baby you get a zero or 100 there is no in between is that fair? Okay. My buy-in is huge. My students, I, I, zero discipline issues. It all goes out the window. They're all on board. Um, now, I will say all with the exception of, of course, I still have students that don't do anything, no matter what I do. Uh, so I'm, it, it's still the real world. Um, mm. But that's the first step. And so then I focus my assessments very broad. Uh, so I have informative instruct assessment, which is Are they able to understand what they're reading? Can they articulate what they're reading? Can they format it well? Those are the things I'm looking for. With ELA, those things are covering all the standards if you, as you're incorporating multiple texts. So I have buckets. I don't consider them grades. I consider them buckets. Bucket one is reading comprehension. Bucket two is writing skill or writing process bucket three is research slash citation so learning how to cite sources and incorporate outside evidence um and then my summative my end grade at the end checking their their final understanding is just a a task that covers all those so you're going to read write and and everything Mm -hmm. um and so i just rinse and repeat that's rinsing and repeating and so i look at those buckets is you can refill them right so Instead of this, well, here's a grade, and now nine weeks later, your grade is tanked because of this one. No, it's just, it's a bucket. I'm filling, I'm putting more in the bucket. 
you didn't put enough in your bucket. Let's, let's give you another opportunity to fill the bucket. Um, so I've got that out of the way. Now I'm putting it all on them. So now that we're not, we're not worried about grades and we're not worried about the grade book, I'm not worried about grading. They're not worried about grades. We've got all the time in the world. Um, and here's the other part. And um, I'll whisper it so nobody hears. I'm a rebel. <laughs> I don't follow the district pacing guide. Um, I love it. I, I just won't uh, because it's ridiculous. And it's, um, it is geared toward the test. It's geared mm-hmm. towards the, the in EOCs. Um, and I'm and gonna interrupt. Know, I'm sorry. Yeah, How freeing yeah. is that? Because I, I am a rebel. I'm the one who pushes the envelope. My teacher is like, can you, or my principal was like, where we do step up to writing. I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And I just do my own thing because yeah. I just do what I think is best for students. And it is such a freeing thing to not even think about whatever pacing guide has been given to you or whatever thing, because our teachers who are in our programs are very stuck with what they're required to do by, especially in certain States and certain districts, like their principal will come in and expect them to be on page 32 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the harm of, to whom the teacher, the student, the parents, like the whole education system in essence. Yep. And so imagine, I'm sure teachers are listening to this, like, God, I wish I could do that too. How freeing that must be to not only get rid of grades, be like, oh, I'm not doing that. And also get rid of the pacing guide and just do what's best for your kids. Yeah. And, and so the thing is like, I, I mean, if somebody looks in my grade book, they're going to see what looks like Mr. Pettit's putting grades in. Well, it took me five minutes. Um, you know, later in the year, I'm grading differently. I'm, you know, it's, it's, I'm assessing them individually. Right. But, um, and yes, yeah, some people are, they're handed an actual script and they have to read a script. What has our country come to? Or they're following that pacing guy. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's, it's sad because here's the thing, you know, and I don't say this in a sense of arrogance. I say this and as like, let's look at the proof. Seven years, I've had the highest scores in my district, I've had the highest scores in the state. Why is nobody asking me what I'm doing? Why are they trying to force me into the box? Yeah. Instead of asking me, they're all struggling. And the more they focus on the test, the lower the test scores get. hundred percent. hundred percent. It's the way it goes. So we got that out the way. Right. And so I'm not worried about the pacing calendar. And so, um, people I've found my first year, I was doing a lesson plan a day and that begot, that was so cumbersome. Um, I don't do lesson plans. I have some systems and some processes and it's all rinse and repeat. We're going to read. We're going to discuss. We're going to write. We're going to workshop. You're going to conference with me. And that's it. Well, Mr. Pettit, what are we doing? We're going to mix up the text. We're going to throw in a little bit of poetry. We're going to spiral in some fiction. We're going to bring in a, an article, some autobiographies. We're not going to go poetry unit, fiction unit, drama unit. No, because all these concepts in writing go together. The poet uses metaphors just as much as the uh, the person writing a play and the novelist, they all use metaphors, but so does the nonfiction essay writer. What can, what would Langston Hughes have been if he couldn't have used metaphors and somebody would have told him five paragraph essays, all you get Langston Hughes probably would have had some words for him. <laughs> so we get rid of all the templates. Uh, we free them up. And I say, just give me what you've got. So they read a, a passage and I, I, I start them out by giving them everything. 
there's there's not a lot of differentiation to start now maybe a whole, whole lot of scaffolding but not like individual uh, those are my dogs apologize <laughs> that's okay um so i do that and, and and basically it's read the text and this is tough you got to get them to buy in and in the first few weeks you're just trying to get the kids to buy into your process and i haven't held a conference yet because okay. i'm not worried the about school the year yet okay yeah. And just I'm so for- everyone listening, we're recording this at the end of September. So you've been in school for what, like five, five six weeks? weeks. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we just hit our six weeks uh, and I haven't done a conference yet. I okay. have I have talked to the individual students and I've gone around the room and met with them and things like that, but we haven't had any formal conferences. Mm-hmm. So Thursday, what I'm going to do with the students that I work with today, because I'm on a block schedule, they finished up some reading and a summary that they wrote over the reading. On Thursday, we're going to look back at all the reading they've done. We're going to look back at all the writing they've done, and we're going to break down the texts. And now I have a a ton of data in front of me. I know who my strong readers are, who needs help. Now I can put them into groups. Uh, Now I can split them up in different ways. And I've already identified my peer tutors. I've found my writers. I've found my strong readers, and I found the ones that can process the information quickly, you're my discussion leaders. So I've identified that. I know my classroom culture and it's different for every class. Caitlin, you know, every class has a different yes, vibe. personality. <laughs> yeah. So when they come in after lunch, they're feral. Um, when they come in <laughs> in the morning, they're dead to the world. But you know, it is, there's a range. So I get the processes down. So it, it goes like this. Read a passage and annotate it. And we're doing five things. We're doing the who, the what, the when, the where, the why. And I have them make a fist. I say, now, if you can get the who, what, when, where, why, you can get the how. Mm. And the how is the author's craft. Now we're going to dive into genre. Okay. So you know what the text is about. And if you don't understand, we're going to go a layer. So I have leveled reading and that's kind of too complicated to get into now, but it's basically read for one thing. Now read for another, read Mm -hmm. for another. So just layers. Um, but get those five basic things, throw out all the complicated strategies and circle this and underline that and put a box here and highlight that. And a little pig out to the side and the clock, stop, stop. We overcomplicate everything. Just the who, what, when, where, why. That's what every piece of writing has. And every form of communication, a video, it doesn't matter what it is. And we think of texts. I think of texts with my students as anything I can read or interpret. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we dive into the craft. Now let's get a hold of the how. How did the writer write this? Okay, the writer um, is writing about a pair of shoes. Well, what about the shoes? Well, the shoes are magical. How does the writer tell us the shoes are magical? Well, the writer uses similes and metaphors. Okay, great. So what type of writing is this? It's fiction. So do fiction writers use uh, similes and metaphors? Yes. Okay, but you're not in third grade. What do they use them for? They use them to clue the reader in on something important. Excellent. Okay. And it also creates creates sensory imagery. I'm building anchor charts now. I'm writing these things down. They're discussing them. They're noticing. I'm not doing the work. They're doing the work. I'm just facilitating. And most of the time, I'm just sitting back watching and smiling and realizing that my life is now enjoyable again. Um, so read. Got your notes. Everybody's got their notes. Great. Okay. Any questions over the text? Go ahead and discuss the text. Let's see if we have any. Now they're discussing it with each other. And they naturally are working with each other. And I might have them go around to other people in the room to get some feedback. So they're touching with the people that understand less or more, right? So now they've got that deep understanding of the text, at least enough to to move forward. Okay, now I want you to discuss with each other, what is the writer doing? And what I'll do at that point is model me breaking down the author's craft. Mm -hmm. So 
if I want them to identify transitions, I model myself annotating the text for transitions. And I tell them, I want you to take notes with what I'm doing. I don't want you to pay attention to the text. I want you to pay attention to what I'm doing and write down everything I'm doing. And then I'll have them discuss what did Mr. Pettit do when he was annotating the text. And so then I have them try that strategy. Uh, and then they go in and they apply that strategy and they're able to extract, okay, uh, this is a this is an informational text. And so we need to have claims and uh, evidence and reasoning. Okay, great. That's it. That's our rubric, guys. We're going to write down claims, evidence, and reasoning. Now they're going to use different words and that's okay. I'm going to build them up to that acad academic language. Mm -hmm. That's our hang up. We get caught up on trying to teach everything in the first nine weeks. These are end of year standards. And that's why I throw the pacing calendar out. Um, so we've got those three things. Okay, guys, you want to try this? No. Okay. Well, let's just try it. Let's just do something simple. Pick a topic you enjoy, anything, anything you want, write about anything you want, but make a claim about it and try to include some evidence and reason. Where would we get the evidence from? Just for never now, just use your brain, just use a, a story, whatever, but they practice incorporating those things. Okay. Now let's dive deeper. Now my kids that already got that, I'm extending them. My kids that didn't get that, I'm scaffolding them up. I'm having them find a text that's maybe a little more accessible. So we've got that. Okay. They wrote, now they've got a piece of writing. We're going to come back. We've done a reader's workshop. Now we're going to do a writer's workshop. So here's what we're doing. We need a goal. And I teach them questioning. You don't just hand somebody your paper and say, can you read this? Because inevitably, inevitably, they're going to say, it's good. It's good. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all you're going to get. So I say specifically, is my claim clear? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a question. So I model the, I give them the questions to begin with later in the year, I start gradually releasing that and they have to form their own questions. Uh, all right. So they're doing that. They're giving each other feedback and this is terrible. The first time around the feedback they give is awful because they haven't been taught how to do it. They've had the paper graded for them and hand it back to them. So now what I'm going to do is just observe and I'm talking to them and this is pulling teeth and it is rough and it is a headache. But you do this first front loading of work, second semester, I'm sitting back just talking to kids while they're working and they're leaving the classroom. They come in, they know what they're doing. I don't even have a lesson plan. So that's kind of the way it goes to start with. They do that writer's workshop and I don't do anything graded on the first time because do you want somebody to grade your practice? No, <laughs> you should have seen the first run through of our book. <laughs> yeah. So, <Definitely> yeah. So. <laughs> I published a couple novels and it went through tons and tons of revision. It's, nobody is allowed to see my first draft. It's never <laughs> seen the light of day. I don't even go look back at that. I know, thing. right? Seriously. <laughs> yeah. And, and the first time I cooked, and like I cook all the meals for my family most of the time. The first time I cooked, I about burned the house down. And my wife's like, this isn't going to work. And I'm like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is terrible. But, you know, eventually she learned, hey, I just got to step back. Let him have the kitchen. Let him do his thing. Now I'm not being graded. And I'm you know what? Let me experiment. Well, what was it? Oh, that's too much seasoning. Oh, that's too much water. Oh, put the oil in, heat the pan up, then put the food in. Oh, <laughs> it's disgusting. All right. So I learned those lessons when I didn't have someone telling me what I was doing right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And I just had the opportunity to explore. You know what we missed the most of childhood? Play. Yeah. Going out and just playing and figuring out, oh, I touched that and it hurt. Don't touch it again. Mm -hmm. Oh, I wrote that and I gave it to my partners and I, this is the best thing I've ever written. They're like, I don't understand it. Really? Wow. Well, why don't you understand it? Well, I don't understand what this is. 
And then now they're talking about their writing. Mm-hmm. So I get it to the point where they're talking and they can give each other decent feedback. Now let's repeat the process. Okay. We finished that writer's workshop. Okay. Here's what I want. I want you to give me one goal. What's one thing in your writing you've identified that you need to work on? Just one thing. That's it. Write it down. Okay. So they come to me and the first conference is this. Okay. What's your, what are you working on? I'm writing a story about my phone. Okay. And what's your goal to write a story about my phone? No, no, no. What's your goal for your writer's craft? What, what, what craft thing do you need to fix? Oh, um, I'm not using enough explanation. Okay, great. So what's your goal? I'm going to add more explanation. Notice how I just asked questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to add more explanation. Okay, great. Now I'll talk about the software later. Uh, you can do this any kind of way you want. I use software. You can just write this by hand, but I say, okay, Caitlin is going to work on adding more explanations in her writing about her cell phone story. Great. That's her goal. She's going to go back. She's going to do some revisions. I'm going to check in with her next time. Hey, Caitlin, did you write your, did you write your story? Okay. You did your revisions. Did your peers like it? Yeah. What'd they say? What was their feedback? You come back and you say, well, they understood it. It was clear this time. What was clear? I added more explanation. So did you meet your goal? Yeah, I did. Awesome. Great. There's a 100 for you. I love it. That makes so much sense for the student, not, not only to have them set their goals themselves, obviously, right. More buy-in, et cetera, but also to have a singular singularity of focus in their goal. You know, I think so often, like with, with any skill learned, I mean, cause it really is like any skill learned, we are going to get so much more out of our progress forward when we have that singularity of focus, you know, like I'm going to, whatever I'm going to the gym and I'm asking my, uh, personal trainer, Hey, like, I really want to focus on doing a really good squat this time. Like, can you help me get my form down? I'm not going to be then also like, can you also help me with my lunge and all these other things? Right. Like, that's like the thing I really want to get done first. Well, then I can add the next thing after I've kind of really focused on this. And is that what you find your students will do is their goals will adjust and shift based on what they've set for themselves in the past. Yeah. And it's the, the best part is they, they're not, it's, it's, we hit them with a nine point rubric mm-hmm. and they don't even understand it. And they're like, I can't get this, can't get this. And they're trying to get all these things at once. So I give them one thing and they picked it like, I'm not telling you what you need to work on. You know what you need to work on because you keep messing it up. You've been messing (laughs) it up since third grade. I want to fix it. Okay, well, this is the year you fix it. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to work on it. Okay, now I fix that. Okay, so next time you write a paper, is this going to be a problem? No. Okay, so we're going to work on something else your next paper, right? Plus, you're going to add in this explanation. So you got your explanations down. You're going to make maybe a stronger claim next time. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Those kids come out of those conferences positive, they come out of them feeling better about them. Now I used to grade in the conferences and the conferences used to be very long mm-hmm. and I did 27,000 things at once and there were 20 minutes and it was frustrating for everybody and it's not sustainable, but now it's, it's a two, three minute conference. And so I teach on a block schedule. I can get to all my students in 85 minute period, but I'm taking my time. Yeah. Um, I should point out that Kittle and Gallagher conference with their students, they, uh, Gallagher has about 38 plus students in each class period. And he teaches in a title one school in a very large district in California. If he can do it in a class with 38 students and get to every student every week, then we can all do it. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the thing. He's not getting to them every class period, but teachers think I got to get to them every class. I'm not uh-huh. conferencing with them daily. When are they working? If I'm always in their face, talking to them. <laughs> Right. And that's the thing. We got to learn to back off a little bit. If you're standing in front of the class lecturing the whole time, you're doing it wrong. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Put the work I, in their hands. I would love that's when you said that, like to step back, like the second semester that you get to be the teacher who is really observing and watching these conversations unfold and all this stuff. That's what we teach our teachers, especially with like Socratic seminars is the first couple that you are going to do are going to be a disaster. Like it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be super awkward. Yes. You're going to be involved, but towards the end of the year, like you are not even going, you're just going to get to be a fly on the wall and watch and observe your students. And I love taking that same concept and applying it to our writing classrooms as well. Yeah. So powerful. You've got to just, it's so powerful when you're able to see the growth and you're able to observe, you know, I love Marvel as my bio says, Uh, one of my favorite scenes is in uh, the first Thor movie and Thor's the prisoner and uh, Hawkeye is in a perch. And the director Fury says, why are you watching from way up here? And he says, I see better from a distance. You know, a hawk before it kills, it swoops above and it lasers in on a target. And so when you're able to step back, you're able to see. Mm-hmm. You, you can't see the top of the mountain when you're in the middle climbing it. You have to get to the top to see the whole thing or look at it from the bottom. So when you step back, you can see each student holistically. You can see much more and you can figure out what are the things stopping them from learning? Because mm-hmm. every kid has something that's stopping them from learning. And you might find out it's not a learning gap. It's I'm hungry. It's yeah. uh, my mom and dad are going through a divorce or it's uh, my aunt has COVID or whatever it may be. Uh, but you're not going to see that if you're in the trenches constantly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We can't do anything at the higher part of that if we haven't taken care of what our students actually need, those basic human needs. Um, and I think that gets missed so much because of this pressure on teachers for standardized test scores and to follow their, um, district mandated curriculum, whatever, you know, I just, I kind of, I really love just everything that you're saying in, in terms of, yes, this is a high school classroom. And I think everything that you've explained to us is absolutely usable in a middle school classroom as well with fifth graders. I taught fifth grade for one year. It was awful, but I could totally have done this with, with my fifth graders just in a different way. You know, it's not going to look exactly the same necessarily as you just described. Um, but even still a fifth grader is able to identify at least an area of strength that or for growth for them, you know, and be able to hone in on that and pick a different thing. Um, I think it's just really, really interesting. And I love what you're sharing with us. You talked a little bit about a software that you use for your student teacher conferences. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us like what that is, how you use it? And if we don't want to like, obviously use the software, um, is there some other way that we could do the same type of like measurement goal setting, all that stuff that you. Yeah. So I hate spreadsheets. Um, I'm just not a fan. I have to use them and I'm good with working with Excel because you can't exist in this world without it now, but I use Trello, uh, T-R-E-L-L-O, right? And Trello is designed for business meetings. It's designed for business production, like tasking, assigning tasks to different people. Well, we just started using it for teaching. And what I do is I put all their names in a list and I create every checkpoint I need. So every list is a checkpoint. Checkpoint one, finish the, chose a text. Checkpoint two, annotated the text, um, you know, continuously forth like that. Right. And I have all their names in, in one column called roster, and then I just move them. So after the, after I checked, okay, did you choose a text? What's your text? Okay. Got it. Move you over. Great. You finished annotating. Let me see who, what, when, where, why got it moving to the next column. I can color code it. 
I can add notes. So every time I have an interaction with a student, I'm adding notes in Trello. This is great because it timestamps it. Mm. So rather than me going back and documenting later, I'm walking around with my iPad or I'm having the kid come to me at my desk and I'm typing it in the computer really quickly. Um, I'm doing it right on the spot. Believe it or not, your listeners may be like, this guy's full of it. I don't take any work home. I don't grade after hours. And a lot of times I don't even grade during my planning period. I plan during my planning period. And sometimes I take naps. I was going to say you do nothing. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am so familiar with Trello and this makes so much sense to me how you can use that. Are you able to use a free version when you do that? Yeah, you can use a free version. Yeah. Uh, If you're an educator, most in some districts, at least in, in, in most places, you can use an educator uh, sign in and it'll allow you. Um, also, side note, just throwing this in free of charge, just an extra Canva educators. If you're not getting the free using the pro version, you're missing out. Yep. Always, always ask, right? No matter mm-hmm. where you are. Do you have an educator's discount? Um, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely do that. Um, I'm going to urge our teachers, especially because it is free, to go try and like mess around with Trello a little bit because as you're explaining that I can move this student over to this column and I can write notes on their basically like card, essentially, if you will, and then move them over to the next, like beautiful. What a beautiful system to track student progress. I freaking love it. It's fantastic. And you can (laughs) color code and you, you assign the colors. So if a kid is dyslexic, I can put a red on there and the red means dyslexic or maybe red means behavior, or this kid's on a bit or whatever it may be. So I can keep track of all that stuff because I I don't know how many things we're actually supposed to keep track of at this point, like, but it's a lot. And so simple is better for me. So yeah, try it out. Get your hands dirty. If you don't like it, there are a ton of other things you can do. You can hundred percent, just write these notes by hand. You can type them in your computer, do what works for you. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, Trello is, it's a game changer. Super smart. That's super freaking smart. I might even for our teachers who are in our membership, go into our Facebook group and like show them how to use Trello, because I think that's incredibly powerful. What you just shared, um, along with everything else that you've enlightened us to today, I've absolutely loved listening to your approach, the way that you teach, especially in high school. Like granted, I taught high school, my first three and a half years, I was like 22 years old. Didn't know what the hell I was, heck I was doing. This is a, <laughs> not an, an explicit podcast episode. Um, and I would have done anything to have had some sort of like, you just have this very clear clean, simple process. It's like work smarter, not harder. And I feel like that's exactly what you've shared with us. That's the goal. I, I wanted my life back. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was ready to quit. I was done. I was hundred percent burnt out. I was constantly feeling like I'm I'm burning the candle at both ends and I can't even find uh, a match to light it. How's it burning? This is, this is crazy. Yeah. Um, It was the worst of the worst, constant headaches, stress, eating terribly, never getting to the gym and it affects your home. Mm -hmm. And I've seen so many educators divorced and unhealthy and sick and leave the profession feeling like they've got nothing. You know, at the end of this, I don't want a watch and a pension. I want a legacy. Mm -hmm. And I want to know that I've reached people and that I've affected the world. And I believe the only way we're going to change the world is by changing the youth. Yes, absolutely. Amen to that. With that being said, I want to ask, do you have any like one last piece of advice for implementing your approach to teaching writing 
for our teacher who's listening to this, they're inspired. They're like, yes, I want to do the same exact thing. Like what is one key thing that they could walk away from this podcast episode with? So the first thing first to decide what you need to work on. So you can start this at just the sentence level. There is no reason you have to do this with long papers. In fact, I would start with sentences. Let's just focus on sentences and big picture. Throw out the grammar. Don't think about grammar. Think big picture. We'll get to the grammar eventually. That's going to come up. Um, so really just start with sentences and use some mentor text. I strongly recommend writing with mentors by Odell and Marchetti. It is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and anything Kittle and Gallagher have ever written, um, please, they're, they're amazing. And they're still in the classroom. They're still in the trenches. So they, they're, they're not just people that taught back in the 50s. And they kind of remember what teaching's like. So yeah, start with sentences and give yourself this this understanding. Maybe say it as a mantra: "You are going to mess up. It is going to be difficult. You will eventually get there. Mm. It's not going to be pretty." I've been working on this process for years to get it right, and I just got this year to where I feel like I'm comfortable enough to share it with others and be effective in the classroom. Mm, I love that. Such great reminders. You know, so many of us get stuck in moving forward because we need it to be perfect. I think a lot of teachers like suffer into that, like perfection box. Yeah. And then we don't do anything because it has to be perfect the first time. And that just isn't life. That's not how life works by any means at all. So thank you so much for leaving us with that. Before we go, where can our audience connect with you? What is the best place to find you? Um, et cetera. Where are you located online? <laughs> yeah, so uh, chadpettit.com. That's pretty much my central hub for everything. I've got some blog posts up there. Also linked to my podcast. Uh, I host a podcast with Brett Colley. He's another TikTok creator out in Washington. Uh, it's called Education Reclaimed. And we're on that show bringing in different creators and educators talking about how we can reclaim our confidence and our curriculum and our passion. And so uh, a lot of great episodes there. Like I said, blog posts, you can find all my socials, find me on TikTok. Everything's at chadpettit.com. Love it. Thank you so much, Chad. It was such a joy to have you on the podcast. I so appreciate you taking time out of your day to just share your incredible insight with us um, and just allow us a glimpse into your world and how it works for you and just really inspire us toward a different life as a teacher, especially as a writing teacher. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on. I had a blast. It was amazing. Absolutely. All right, everybody, we will see you next week on the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.